Good morning, church. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, good, good. I do want to first say it's, it's just good to be back here um, worshiping with, with family. I'm worshiping with the Hill. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, uh, Team Robinson, uh, we were out east, uh, so we went to go spend some time with Adrian's family in uh, Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, um, and it was good. Every time we were out there, or it seemed like almost every time we would tell somebody, yeah, we're from San Diego, and it was like clockwork. They're like, why did you come here? <laughs> it's a good question, right? Um, but, you know, we would say, yeah, our, her peoples are out here, so they, they've been doing this every year. We go out, fellowship, um, and it was really good, uh, ultimately. Um, but I will say the heat, if you've never been to South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, the heat out there makes Palm Springs look like Boston in November. It's so hot, and it's humid, and it's just, it's, praise God for South Carolina, though, right? Um, we, were, we were grateful, though, uh, just to get the time. But while we were out there, uh, we... Uh, did get some news, so I received a phone call, so it ended up being two weeks instead of one, but received a call from uh, my dad uh, while we were out there uh, just to you know, inform me ultimately that my grandmother, my mom's mom, ended up passing. Um, so we, we had to uh, switch a flight, right, take a little detour up to D.C., uh, and we, uh, yeah, we got some time with my family um, as we uh, celebrated the, the life of my grandmother. And so that's kind of why we were gone for so long. Um, but I will say it's, it's, yeah, it's not like being back where, where you, you call home um, here with the hill. And so we're just we're glad to be back. Um, but in many ways, the word that we'll go through today, again, I didn't know all this, but the Lord knew um, that uh, it would minister to my soul in, in the same way that I hope it ministers to y'all. So, um, yeah. Let's dive in. Uh, Ultimately, we'll be in Psalm 56. Um, And again, so this 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 summer, you know, if you if you're new uh, with us, we take July to go through the the Psalms. Uh, We we uh, like to sit, um, meditate on the words found in the Psalms, right? Um, there we get to see the saints of old wrestling with God, uh, bringing uh, you know, their honest emotions, their, their feelings, their thoughts, concerns uh, to God. I mean, leaving his presence, having remembered his word with a renewed mind and rejuvenated soul ultimately is, is our hope in coming to the Psalms. But what I love about the Psalms is right through pain, both through pain and suffering um, of past saints, we find words to speak uh, when our situation sometimes leaves us speechless. And so the Psalms serve as, as medicine right, that heals us for the hurting soul. And it isn't, uh, again, by coincidence that God would have the majority of the Psalms be ones of lament. And so the Psalms of lament, right, both individually and communally, are the most common type of psalm. And, and like your life's situation that may raise in your hearts, right, frustration, regret, maybe rage, agony, deep confusion, sorrow, loss. Right? This aligns with the heart of God's servants in, in the Psalms of Lament in every way. And what God desires us to do is, is pattern our lives in such a way that the Psalter does repeatedly in the dark valley moments of life. 
right? In their pain, the psalmist, he holds God to God's own promises, right? I'm going to say that again. In the Psalms, we see, right, this uh, holding on of their pain, right? But the psalmist is holding on both to their pain, holding on to God, holding God to God's own promises. That's what we see. And so comfort is experienced in a real way when you have that relational capital with someone where you can be brutally honest with them and, and know that they won't listen or know that they will listen in love and respond to your heart with extreme care. And so not telling you what you want to hear, but informing you what you actually need to hear. And so if you believe there is no room for you to release doubts, disappointments at God, you're either, you're either not reading the Psalms uh, at all or you're not reading them rightly. So what we learn in the Psalms is that God would rather you voice your frustrations in inward hurt than approach him with a fake politeness in your devotion. Or do you speak to God bluntly? And are you crying out to him with honesty? Or is your communion with him superficial and surface level at best? A theologian of old made a sound point on the Psalms of Lament stating that they don't simply vent our grievances against an unperforming God, but by the Spirit, right, we bring our anger and fear and grief before God in order that we may be seen by God. And being seen by God leads to transformation. So how do we grow in our trust in God? What does trusting God look like in our most painful moments that this life deals us? If our good God can't be trusted to prevent bad things from happening to us, how can he be trusted at all? These are questions we find answers to by an honest prayer from God's servant, David, in Psalm 56. So again, if you haven't already, open your Bibles or grab a Bible or click... um, to unlock that phone, and we'll be in Psalm 56. Um, So at the beginning, we see a note in all caps, right, to the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths, right? So some translations may say to the tune of, which, which better describes that this psalm was a song to be listened to alongside the dove on far terebinths, which is a type of tree in the Middle East, right, terebinth, but... Um, there's a song that's called the Devon Far Off Terebinth that uh, was supposed to be aligned with this psalm. So a mictum of David, when the Philistines seized him in God. So this is vital for context to David's situation and, and the heart behind the words of this psalm. Right? David wrote this in light of the situation found in 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. Right? So David is on the run from folk who, they want him dead in Saul's army, um, Right, only to get seized by the Philistines in God. And so this is the hometown and peoples of Goliath, if that helps shed light on the hatred they too had for David. We know uh, Goliath to be from this place called God. So David, he's running from one enemy in Saul in search of refuge, a hiding place, right? only to have his identity discovered and his detainment by another enemy in the Philistines. So he gets seized, and, and in this dark experience of being detained, he writes, He writes this prayer in Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me, and all day long an attacker oppresses me. 
And my enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And all day long they injure my cause, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape, and wrath cast down the peoples, O God. But you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God, and I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Heavenly Father, you're good. I just pray this morning that asking that we may be seen by you. Asking God that you would form us into a people who by your spirit holds deep sorrow with absolute honesty, right? even as we hold to the promises of your word. Make your word come alive to us this morning. May we become less and less as you, Lord, become greater and greater. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. The presence of God is the destination. Prayer is the mode of transportation. There can be no trust in any relationship if there is no mode of communication. And so for the Christian, when we pray, the act itself isn't the end, right? It's only the means and mode of communication with God on the other line. To be with him, to be seen by him, and to be known fully in him. That's the destination. And so what we come to hear and what helps us to see in David's prayer is that his suffering isn't simply a place of pain, but, but it's also a place of meeting God. And in his meeting with God, what is interwoven in the words of David's prayer is that he, like he trusts in God. Unlike the most trustworthy friend you have on this earth who has had to seek forgiveness for a wrong they've done to you, right? The God of the Bible has never had to apologize for letting you down. And his flawless faithfulness proves that he never will. Right? God's steady faithfulness revealed in his word and, and exemplified in many times prior is what David remembers, which leads him to, to seek solace in the presence of God by way of prayer to him. Right? Simply put, God has proven himself trustworthy in David's life. Therefore, David trusts God. Right? Suffering doesn't wedge separation between David and his Lord, like we may assume it should. But on the flip side, right, what suffering does for David is it, it, it fuels his soul to instinctively seek comfort in the tender words of God as he trusts in the one who has spoken them. God is trustworthy, therefore his word is. So family, it's, it's in our suffering and in our, and in our pain where temporary hits of the world's morphine to numb us won't suffice. Right, un- unwise amounts of sleep, television, 
right? The, the endless scrolling on social media platforms, food, drink, exercise, shopping, work, work, more work. All this does is numb pain, right? Instead, we, we need something that will soothe our suffering, something that will truly get us through the darkness of the situation, right? We need real hope. We, we need real hope. And we find it in the cure of the comforter. So we must not forget, we must not forget, we must not forget that God's trustworthy promises of past strengthens us in our pain of today and satisfies our soul for eternity. God's trustworthy promises of past strengthens us in our pain of today and satisfies our soul for eternity. If you have... If you and and I are right to arrive at a place where our souls believe this with every fiber of our being, it will not come by way of seeking God to remove the difficult moments of life. It will only come by a James 1-2 way of living where your faith is tested, right, when met with trials of various kinds. For it's in those moments of trial where he, right, where trust, right, has the opportunity to, to truly grow, Right, there are three ingredients of David's prayer that I want us to not only see today, but to apply regularly in our lives that moves us towards a foundational trust in our relationship with our Lord. Right, how do you mature in your trust in God? David reveals first that, one, you must learn to acknowledge and release your pain with heartfelt honesty before God. Right, from the jump, David cries aloud, Oh God, have mercy on me. For people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. So with a heavy heart, David starts his prayer by begging God and appealing to him for mercy. Why? Because the very people that has built up hatred for him are hounding him all day, every day. And we see the reasoning when David pleads to God. My enemies are in hot pursuit of me, and they're out for blood. What we don't see in the start of David's prayer is something that has become the ordinary custom when it comes to prayer. What isn't being portrayed is an intimacy, but at arm's length, right? We don't see that. Oftentimes, intimacy is sought after when it comes uh, to our relationship to God, but we treat him like a friend whom we hold at arm's length. That friend who, you know, you're trying to figure out whether or not they're trustworthy for you to share your honest thoughts. And emotions, because they may mishandle them, or worse, they may actually just spill them all out in the streets. Not David. He spills out his heart with brutal honesty, and he pleads to God from the depth of his soul using sharp words, right? Instead of being one who remains distant from him, never voicing his doubts and disappointments, his heart is being put on full display as he seeks to be heard from the living God. And David, in every way, has taken off the mask of self-protection, Why is it so difficult to lay bare our guilt, our shame, our struggles, and our fears before God in prayer with honesty? Why do we find it hard to admit to God in prayer that we are hurting? Why do we sugarcoat our concerns to him and pray as if he doesn't already know everything? Why do we hold our emotions deep inside instead of releasing them with honesty before a holy and all-loving God? Because we trust the hiding place that we've built for ourselves more than the hiding place God has offered to us in himself. 
Rather than speaking to God about how angry you are with a family member, friend or spouse, or just how discontent and disgruntled your heart is towards life, right? being honest to God with an open heart, you try to hide it in the wrong place. Rather than grounding our soul to the truth of God's word that reveals how we is truly like, our, our own heart tells us that we can't trust him because even though we're in Christ Jesus, he will condemn us. We think, begin to practice of centering our soul on lies rather than resting on the truth of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Instead of honesty in your prayers to God, it becomes a, a time for you to perform before him. And what's silly about that is God already knows what's up. <laughs> like, <laughs> truly. Right? He's pretty consistent on calling a spade a spade when it comes to the hurt being harbored within our own very hearts. We also can't get caught up on the idea that confession of an honest heart has to look a certain way. Naturally, right, we use images, we use uh, uh, beliefs, examples uh, to craft in our own conscience what this looks like. More common than not, people believe that right, an honest confession to God has to look like us falling on our knees and arms lifted high, right? As we cry out before God in pain to him. And life circumstances may at times warrant that. I'm not, I'm not saying that it won't. But sometimes it may look like the honest prayer from the saint of old in Hannah that we find in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was a wife of Elkanah who was struggling to conceive a child. And because of her struggle, she was treated differently in a harsh way. And so this caused Hannah to, to weep and not eat. Her husband then begins to search the reason to his wife's pain, asking her, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And the story continues. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed to vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. As you continue to read this narrative, it's made known to us that God remembers her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And what's been made clear in Hannah's testament, and what I believe God wants from us, is to, right, in honesty, right, release our hurt into his loving hand. He wants you to, in honesty, remove the weight that fear has pressed down on you. And he wants you to weep with honesty to him, family, in honesty, like he ultimately wants to hear your heart. Hear me on that. In honesty, he wants to hear your heart. And now Hannah's story could have gone a different direction. Right? God could have withheld from her a son. And in your life, right, he very well can 
keep something or someone you desire from you, whether that's for right now or forever. He hasn't promised to provide to us every petition we lay before him. God may delay and he may deny our request, but he will never disappoint our trust. Even in his no, he is still a God that you can trust and he is a God that graciously leaves room in the relationship for honesty. It's only by an honest assessment that is poured out before God in prayer that he begins to heal us to the point where he equips you to hold your hurt and his promises at the same time. David demonstrates both honesty in his pain and a hurt that is grounded in the promises of God. Verse 3 and 4, he prays, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Our pastor elaborates on this in saying, In God will I praise his word, that is, I will firmly depend upon the promise for the sake of him that made it, who is true and faithful and has wisdom, power, and goodness enough to make it good. With honesty, David brings his hurt before God and finds the calm waters of his word. And it's his dependence upon the promises of God that moves him from, right, when I am afraid to I shall not be afraid. He trusts in the God who is true and forever faithful. And he comes to trust in the God who holds all wisdom in the heavens and the earth. So David pours his pain on the foundation of God's word, for he knows that God's word always does what it says. And this is what drives him to speak into words where the allegiance of his trust rests. In God, I trust. Family, if you desire to know anything about God, you'll need to get to know him by his word. There isn't any other reliable way of knowing God truly apart from his word. It's not by coincidence that the largest chapter in the Bible is centered on the foundational truths of God's flawless word. Quick side story. The first chapter that my dad asked me to read growing up was Psalm 119. I said, okay, cool. Come to find out, it's 176 verses. This dude really trying to set me up. All right. Right? But Psalm 119, we find it to be rich with reasonings, right, for us as to why God's word is worth remembering. It speaks of the word that isn't just mere words like yours and mine, but these words, according to Christ, are spirit and life. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and the life only he can bring. Verse 50, right, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Verse 82, my eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. 116, uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. 123, right? My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. And this is only six of them that proclaims the validity and trustworthiness of God's resourceful word. Family, if we are to grow, 
in our trust towards God. We must remember our God and the means by which he has chosen to disclose himself and open up his heart to us so we can see with clear eyes the kind of God that we actually do have. Family, if you're having trouble trusting God, can comfort you. Open his word. Meet him there. He won't disappoint. If you're having trouble trusting God, can, can, if he can uh, sustain you, right? Open his word. Meet him there. He won't disappoint. If you're having trouble trusting God, can satisfy you fully. Open his word. Meet him there. He won't disappoint. As the author of Hebrews with confidence said in 13.6, right, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so we also must recall regularly who our God is and what he is like in the soul-satisfying word of God. Trust with God will be strengthened by calling out to him with honesty along with remembering him as your helper who also remembers your hurt. David continues with specifics to the type of evil attacks he's facing from his enemies. All day long they injure my, my cause with all their thoughts being against me for evil. They stir up strife lurking, watching my every step, says they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? Right And wrath casts down the peoples, O oh God. He presses in even more into the ways his heart is suffering because of these constant attacks. And so oftentimes, right, we, we think of flowers that bloom, the, right, the imagery that pops in our, in our head is a sunny day, right? Colors of yellow in the sunflowers, colors of purple and pink in the, in the beds uh, where we see tulips, right, on the, on the bright, shiny day. There may even be red roses mixed in there somewhere, right? But what's necessary to know is growth happens not only when the beauty of the bright sun is up, but also when the beauty of the dark nights there's a whole category of flowers that only blooms at night. Moonflowers, evening primroses, and, and other night bloomers can only be seen in all of their beauty if you take a stroll in the dark. Family, similar to the growth in the dark of these night bloomers, spiritually speaking, there are things that will not bloom within us apart from being in the dark. From the Old to the New Testament, we see that God leads us through suffering to grow our trust in him. And when life seems to be running on all cylinders, it's easy to become somewhat immune, right, and possibly a little distant from God's lead and the desires for your life. But like David, when your true foe in Satan, right, is twisting your words and is an evil eagerness to kill your body, that's when you become all the more attentive and attuned to what God is saying to you. When trouble arises or your career, right, is in jeopardy, the families in shambles, the children are hurting. You not only have God's attention, but he undivided, like undividedly, he, he's going to get yours, right? And we can't get it twisted. God's purpose in our pain isn't about what you do for him, but about the growth in learning to lean on him, to recount that what he offers us, we cannot offer ourselves. And no matter how hard we try, and, and you and I will never be able to arrive to the place of spiritual maturity, right, on our own, if it were left up to us, we wouldn't admit ourselves to the school of hard knocks. Left up to us, <laughs> because of our self-motivating, self-preserving, pride-infused hearts that are naturally bent towards loving our sin, left up to us, we'd always flee from suffering instead of facing it head on. 
But praise be to God, our Savior, in Christ Jesus, who faced death with joy. Christ our Savior knew what this death would accomplish, and Christ our Savior knew the job description, and he still accepted the task. The Apostle Paul's words to the saints of Corinth sheds light on the beauty and the suffering, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 1, 8 through 10, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Family, please hear me on this. Christ-likeness looks like knowing suffering will come, yet facing it with joy because you know how it ends. It will never be on your own strength that carries you through your suffering but always his. And this is something we see in David's soul as he shifts from his sufferings to a confident knowing of who his God is. In verse 8, right, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He rhetorically asks if God is aware of his hardship. And he knows that God is keeping record of his sufferings. So the picture being presented is of God capturing David's tears in a jar, serving as testimony against the enemy. He's a God that remembers your hurt. He's a God that remembers your hurt. A rapper who's a Christian I I appreciate and listen to by the name of uh, KB uh, had a track on a former album called Sing to You. Um, I won't rap the entire song because I'm not a rapper. Not even close. Not even close. I wish sometimes, though. But these specific bars are worth reiterating, especially when you realize that right, the, the conversion of KB came at a time when he was in a dark place in life. And it was actually a Christian rap album that he listened to that opened his eyes to the gospel. And that's when he looked to put his faith and trust in our Savior. But KB gives us these lines from his song, Sing to You. He says, All night I couldn't sleep, thinking about all that joy I couldn't keep. All these holes in my heart, it just seems. I've been pierced more times than I can speak. Got another hole from a friend last week. Lord, Lord, why so many holes in me? Then I saw the hands that were holding me. He said, I know you. Son, I got holes too. When it came to proving his resurrection, Jesus didn't mention the healings and the miracles. He held out his hands and he said, look and see. He pointed to those scars in his hands and he said, look and see. Christian, as we suffer, we must look ourselves and point others who are suffering to the one place that God has opened up his heart to the world and revealed his true stance towards suffering humanity. We got to look to the cross. We got to point him to the cross. There will be times where our hurt can't be explained away, and the only comfort we have to bring is the fact that we have a suffering God. We have a suffering God. And it is... 
It's his desire that we remember him as our helper, as he remembers our hurt. It doesn't matter you know, where or why your tears may fall from your cheeks. Where they fall on the keyboard, right, from an email you received about the status of your job, or you're just overwhelmed by the work that needs to get done, whether they fall on the dirt or grass because of an injury you just encountered playing ball, whether they fall on the pillow that is now soaked because you can't find the words from the loss of a loved one. Whether they fall on another shoulder as you seek comfort and a companion in your pain. Whether they fall on the lined paper of your notebook that has been blank for minutes before journaling because you can't find the words. Whether they fall on the carpet floor of your home because you're feeling extreme loneliness. Whether they fall into your hands as your heart aches for a struggle that your child or someone you've been raising up in the faith is walking through. It doesn't matter where your tears fall, why your tears fall, or who or what your tears are falling for, right? Your shed tears will always find the bottom of his loving bottle. Always. Your tears will always find the bottom of his loving bottle. And your heart can confidently cry out as David did, this I know that God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? As Christ collects the emptied out tears of your life in his bottle simultaneously for his chosen people, he is pouring out his promises into your heart with the intention of filling them to the brim, your soul's cup on the daily. Satisfaction of your soul will not come from you. It has to come from and through the suffering of the Savior of Christ Jesus crucified, right? And this is true for the seasoned saint who has trusted in Jesus for years now along with the unbelieving soul who is yet to trust in Jesus at all. This is the Christian life, right? Receiving God's glorious gift of grace, spending the remaining days of your life sharing with others what Jesus has done for you, rescuing your soul from death and placing you on the lightened path of life on the basis of his finished work on the cross and in the empty grave. And are are you gazing upon Jesus to carry you through the valleys? And have you been releasing your heart to him with utter honesty? Do you see Christ as the most trustworthy friend that you can ever have and will have on this earth? That trustworthy friend, right, who knows your suffering better than you do. Are you seeing him as that? Doing so will undoubtedly grow your trust in him. And not primarily because you've done all this, right? But because he has graciously grown in you that desire to draw near to him, right? It is all of grace. And with grace given, you must release your pain before him. Remember him as your helper. And you must rely above all else on his word. If you are to truly trust God, right, you must trust what he says. There is no other way around it, right? David prays confidently of the remedy of his soul offered to him by the Redeemer. For you have, past tense, right, delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling. Why? That I may walk before God in the light of life. Right? If God delivers us from sin, he has delivered our souls from death 
which is the ultimate end of sin. Right? God's word is clear in that where the Lord has begun a good work, he will carry it on to com- completion. Right? David's hope is that God would keep him even from the appearance of sin. There will without question be suffering that cannot be explained in your life, but remember that God's word always accomplishes what it announces. And in the end, there will be no need to wipe the tears from your eyes, for he's promised to do that for you, according to his word. Family, God's word declares that in the end, darkness is not explained. It's defeated. And Christ's defeat over darkness means our deliverance from death. And if his grace has delivered our souls from the death of sin, he will bring us to heaven where we'll have the gift of walking before him forever in light. Second Corinthians 4, 17, right? For this is light momentary affliction, right? Of preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God's trustworthy, therefore his word is. And it's never just simple information for you, right? His, his word is the tool and instrument of the Spirit of God to do what it says, to complete what it declares of, and to deliver on what it promises. Family, we got to know that. A story to conclude um, is the journey of Corey Ten Boom. So if you don't know who this is, I had the opportunity of reading a book that tells of her story called A Hiding Place. If you haven't read it, would recommend it. It's, it reads quick, um, but it is one that will sit on uh, your heart for a long time. But Corrie ten Boom, she, is a, she was a, a, a Dutch woman, um, grew up uh, during World War II in Holland, um, and as obviously World War II broke out, um, German uh, Jews all over right, were beginning to flee Germany um, into her homeland. And so she, along with her family, uh, look to, uh, and others actually in their town, create this entire system of hiding, hiding those that were on the run, hiding refugees in their homes. So they made like a hiding place in their home uh, and, yeah, hid, hid, hid Jews from the Nazis. And um, ultimately word got out that she, along with others, were doing this. So they come to her home, they arrest her, they arrest her sister, they arrest her entire family. Um, and they take them to a jail in Holland, um, but eventually they go from that jail to uh, a concentration camp in Germany. But yet in that concentration camp, if you read her story, you begin to see that uh, she actually had hope with her. So they take a Bible, they get a Bible, um, Their father was able to water the word with them on the regular. They knew the importance of the word, so much so that they risked their lives to sneak a Bible into the camp, had this Bible, um, and again, it was this Bible being the right taste of hope and arguably the the darkest place of their lives. When I say there, it's mainly her sister and her, right? So this is Corey's account. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Will you carry this too, Lord Jesus? But as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. 
And that was the reason the two of us were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waves clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Family, in your suffering, right, is your soul still satisfied by the hope of his word, by the prize that is Christ Jesus the Son? My hope is that we will become a people who releases our pain, right, with honesty, remembers our helper, right, who remembers our every hurt and relies on his living and trustworthy word. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, wrestle with his word. Like Wrestle with his word. Open it up. Meet him there. He won't disappoint. But yet in his kindness, right, he will reveal to you that Christ Jesus in his suffering is actually the gateway to life eternal. He'll reveal it. Pray with me. Father, we say thank you. Forever grateful that your word fails to disappoint us in the here and the now. And it never will disappoint us in the days that we see ahead. And oftentimes we don't really know what tomorrow holds. But God, we know who holds tomorrow. And that's you. And we just say thank you that we can trust you in it all. God, I do pray. And just ask that. And you would speak to our hearts this morning. Continue to allow us to really wrestle with um, where we're at, right, with honesty, but yet not let it sit um, and stay within us, God. But may we release it to our Heavenly Father. And may we grip your words more so than we look to believe the lies that we often like to sit on in our own heads. God, we need you. That'll always be true. And I pray, Father, that we would continue to worship freely, right? For freedom, Christ Jesus has set us free. Help us to worship freely, knowing that you are who you say that you are and forever will be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.